Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. I think one of the things that keeps us from saying yes sometimes to seeing needs or meeting needs around us is the limitations that we set on ourselves. Uh, the things that we think we're going to face and we're not going to know exactly how to troubleshoot through them. Um, one story that comes to mind is uh, about a woman we met um, named Ruth. We were actually at the Hope staff Christmas party and she was the woman who was taking all of our pictures at the photo booth. Um, someone came up to me and said, hey, I think you should meet this woman. Uh, she's a foster mom and she said she's looking for some support. So I went over, struck up a conversation with her. Sure enough, she had two foster kids in her home along with her own biological children. And they were looking for support, mostly in the form of relationships. At the time, she really didn't need a lot. She just wanted some friends, some other moms who might also be fostering or who might understand where she was coming from. That seemed like an easy, um, an easy way for Fostering Hope to show up. And so we knew we had support circles. So uh, we connected her with a support circle. Now the support circle was actually led by a woman named Joyce. And Joyce is a firecracker of a woman for God uh, who goes to our Raleigh campus. And Joyce uh, had called and said, I'm interested in supporting the foster care system. I think I wanna be a part of one of these support circles, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. And so uh, we had the chance to explain to her, it really just means saying yes to loving people well, probably the way you already know how. So uh, we told Joyce, but we don't want you to do that by yourself. Uh, so Joyce went and recruited four or five of her friends and they were in. They knew how to love people well. They knew how to make cookies. They knew how to show up for people and they knew how to make meals. Um, and they were all about meeting whoever was gonna be their foster family. So Joyce and Ruth meet up, they get to know each other. And as time wears on, just as you know with any other family, Anita Rose. Uh, Ruth and her husband had some car trouble. And obviously if you've got four kids that you're toting around, you need a car. Uh, they were unable to get this car fixed on their own. They were unable to financially figure out how do we accomplish meeting this need for ourselves. Well, Joyce and her small group didn't exactly sign up for that, but they did sign up to show up and to help. And they have been a tremendous example of what that looks like. So they said, if we can't fix the car and we can't pay to have the car fixed, what we can do is we can show up and give you rides wherever it is that you need to go. And so they did. They took turns taking her everywhere, giving her rides, getting her kids where they needed to go, whatever it was that was required of them to meet that need and the way they knew how, they said yes to. And Joyce would be the first one to tell you, this is what she signed up for. Showing up in a way that was not necessarily what we prepared her for in any kind of training. We didn't know this was gonna happen, but it never wore them out. However, the car problem just kept going on and it was unmet and the answers were not there for how are we going to ultimately solve this problem. I want you to see exactly where this ended up and where God took this story after Joyce's yes and after all of these women and after Ruth and after the person who first introduced me to Ruth in the first place. Look what it is that God did. I'd sent an email out just basically looking for what are the community needs. Being a new business, we didn't want to wait too long to get involved and so we, we uh, reached out and just sat down with, with Eddie, the local pastor here, and, and uh, 
wanted to find out what can we do um, as a business or as a, as a family ourselves, how can we get involved and be part of the community. So in meeting the, uh, the Freeman family, they expressed a need for having a second car, which was the purpose of them buying this, this vehicle and, and having fostering two children that, that uh, they need to run around independent of each other. And um, so when, when we found out that this was their second car and they're back down to one car, my wife actually expressed interest in uh, helping them out even further. And so we actually gave them my wife's car to drive around and allow her to have her husband's vehicle and then her husband to drive back and forth to work in my wife's car. So we reached out to our home office in Texas and uh, asked if what we could do, how could we help? And they reached back immediately and said, we're gonna put a motor in it for her at no cost to her. We uh, went ahead and ordered a motor and are in the process of replacing it um, and should be done later this week. Foster families are important and they need attention, they need help, they need assistance. More than just uh, anything we can do with, with a vehicle, but there's many needs that foster families need. Um, and a lot of times they don't even know that they need them and they need the help. Um, so whatever we can do to, to help spread that word and get that word out there is, is great. We opened this business to, um, to be the light in the community, not just for our uh, community members, but our employees and to demonstrate that, that the reason we're here is not just run a successful business, not just do whatever it is that we do in our daily lives, but to be the example and to be that light of uh, the hands and feet of Jesus. Isn't that a great story? <clears throat> Such a great story. You know why I love that story? Because really it's so simple. I mean, it's complex, right? There's a lot of moving parts, but it's simple. We talk as a church about uh, building families that thrive. And we talk as a church about meeting the needs of our community. And so a need comes up for a family, and then the church steps up and meets the need. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what, it's, that's what the church is all about. That's who we are as Hope Community Church. And, and just, man, it, it's so encouraging to be a part of a church that actually takes seriously being obedient to what it is that God calls us into. Hey, welcome to you wherever you're joining us from, here in this room across all of our campuses. Uh, a big shout out to our Hope at Home folks. Uh, joining with us over in Pukwe. I'm so proud of you all actually being the church in your community. I know you're going to have a great time connecting together this weekend. Hey, listen, I'm going to jump right in. We are wrapping up a series. We're in week six that we've been calling Rhythm. And uh, I'm going to kick this thing off by asking us a question. And the question is this. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where someone or a group of people were seemingly making things more difficult than they needed to? Do not look at your spouse. And then all my people right now who have children at home are like every day of my life. And my daughter's here right now. I'm sorry, babe. That's like two weeks in a row that I've mentioned something. But look, uh, it's a real thing. I'll tell you a story. In 1959, an architect came forward with the plans for what we all know as the Sydney Opera House. Okay, and this thing was a challenging project from the beginning, from cost overages to design issues to uh, arguments between the architect and the actual government backing group that was behind the whole thing. Uh, the primary challenges, though, were in this iconic roof-like structure that's got these sails that we all can identify it by. But it wasn't just those sails that were, that were the challenging part. It was that, that they were covered with thousands uh, of precast concrete shells. Now, the first contracting group that was involved in this went out of business. And so the government got involved, and they started a new company, all right, to help finish the project. And that always goes well. 
And so as they got involved, they decided what they needed to do was to build two brand new factories that would be responsible for manufacturing all of these shells. And uh, as they did that, they realized that then they had to redesign a crane that would be able to actually place these shells in place on top of the roof. And so in 1974, 14 years after construction began, a project that started with a seven million Australian dollar budget finished in just over 100 million Australian dollars. And you hear that and you think like, at some point could somebody not have thought, maybe we can do this a little more simply? Like we've got a lot of builders around in the area, they're like maybe like a 25 year architectural shingle would have been great and then we're done with the thing start to finish. But I tell you that story because I'm so convinced and it has to do with why we're doing this series because I'm so convinced that Jesus right now has moments where he looks at us and he thinks, why are you guys making this church thing so complicated? You know, like you feel that, right? Like, like we carry this burden sometimes that following Jesus on mission, which is what we're called to do, we're called to be on mission for Jesus, that it's so complicated. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm convinced that Jesus didn't come down from heaven to earth right, to walk amongst us and to die on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins and then rise from the dead and overcome sin and death for it to be difficult for us to figure out how we're supposed to live life as he's called us into, I just don't buy it. And so we're into this series that we're calling Rhythm and it's all about how do we live life on mission with Jesus the way that he calls us to in the rhythms of our everyday life and in the rhythms that we see in culture around us. And Chase has pointed out just about every week, he's done a phenomenal job, that this should not be additive to our life, right? This should be something that we can find that's going on around us and how do we jump in? I do wanna say, if this is something that you just wanna study deeper, or maybe you're looking for a new study to jump into with your small group, there's a book, the name of it is called Saturate. Uh, it's by a good friend of ours. He's a pastor out on the West Coast. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, you can go to our series webpage, gethope.net slash rhythm, and you can find all the resources there. And if you're just jumping in, uh, you can pick up the other messages there. But what we've done, what Chase has really done for us, is helped us identify six rhythms in our life that happen on a regular basis and help us figure out how can we live out Jesus' mission in the midst of those. So we've looked at things that we do regularly, like eating. Like eating is something that we do regularly. Listen. Right? Something that some of us probably don't do enough. The stories that we tell ourselves, how we bless our community or those around us. This idea of recreation, like how we actually rest and play in our lives can actually point people to Jesus. And then this week, I get to wrap things up by talking about literally the most fun out of all the rhythms, which is the rhythm of celebration. Show of hands, crowd participation here. How many of you love a good party? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so what if I told you, uh, what, what, what if I told you that one of the best ways that you could be like Jesus is by being a better partier? Seriously, I mean, some of you were like, man, listen, I haven't been to a church in a long time, but honey, I think we found the right one. Like, I think we found a new home. Well, we know where we are. Look, our world is filled with celebrations, right? From birthday parties to national holidays, from weddings to baby showers, you go to school, you get a party. You graduate, you get a party. You get a job, you get a party. You retire, there's a celebration, right? Uh, um, our, our kids, they, they play in these sports leagues, and at the end of every single sports year, we have these banquets where we give away these tiny participants participation trophies that should probably be thrown in the trash. But we we love to celebrate. We're looking for opportunity to celebrate. And whether you know it or not, every man, woman, and student 
that was actually placed inside of them this desire for celebration. And the reason that is is because the Bible tells us that we're actually made in the image and in the likeness of our God, and it's actually inside of who he is. And you look at scripture from the very beginning. Um, God creates on day one, and there's, there's like this rhythm, there's that word again, that God creates, and he says it's good. And then he creates, and he says it's good, and he creates, and he says it's good, and then on day six, he creates this, his pinnacle of creation, male and female, and he stops, and he says this is very good. And that's what we're doing when we're celebrating things, right? We're saying like the thing that just happened or the thing that's going on right now, this is awesome, and we're gonna enjoy it. And it's all about who God is in the Old Testament. Anytime he moves through his people and does something, he says, listen, I want you to build a monument so that every time you come back around and see this, you'll reflect and you will celebrate what it is that I've done. He institutes all these festivals throughout the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament and you see Jesus. Just about every time you see Jesus, he's at dinner with somebody or he's at a party. He's at a wedding celebration. We're gonna take a look at that in just a few minutes. He actually says at one point, he says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. He said, the kingdom of God is like a wedding party. It's like a wedding banquet. And he actually goes so far as to said the kingdom of God is actually at hand right now. What he's saying is right now when the kingdom of God moves in, there should be a celebration. It should feel like a party. You go all the way to uh, Revelation, okay, the last book in our scriptures, Revelation chapter 16. And it describes when Jesus and his church is gonna be reunited again. And some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> at some point, what we know, what the Bible tells us is all this brokenness that we experience in our life, God's gonna put it back together again. And when he does, there's gonna be a big party. Our God has always been about celebrating and it's inside of us. Now, here's the tension. Uh, whether you know it or not, the church doesn't have a great reputation when it comes to parties, <laughs> all right? Like people aren't sitting around and thinking, you know, I think the church might have a strong value add when it comes to our party planning committee. It just doesn't happen. It's not a conversation that happens on a regular basis. But I want to implore you that it, it shouldn't be that way. Like the church is kind of known, we're good sometimes like this season right now, like Lent, or maybe being reflective or lamenting things, but the church should be the best partiers on the planet. I mean, if you think about it, we know that we have a God that loves us so much that he would allow, that he would send his son down to this earth to pay a penalty that we deserve to pay so that we could have new life, so that there would be no more guilt, there'd be no more shame, that we would be reconciled in our relationship back to God, that one day he's gonna wipe every tear away from our eye and he's gonna put all this brokenness back together and in a world that is filled with hopelessness and all we have to do is watch the news and we know it, we should be able to lead the way in pointing the world towards something that's worth celebrating. And I think based on what we're gonna see in scripture, if we can get this celebrating right, we, we not only have a chance to be on mission like Jesus, but I realized this week that we have an opportunity to live out the gospel for people in a way that they may otherwise never experience. And like I said at the beginning, it's not that hard. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a look at Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter two. And uh, we'll have it here on the screen if you're just checking in with us online. Uh, John chapter two, to give you a little bit of background, uh, John, uh, Jesus is at a wedding celebration with his disciples and with his mom, which I think uh, if you're at a wedding, I think that's a very interesting plus one selection to choose your mom to go to a wedding, but he's the son of God and he can make whatever decision that he wants to, so that's what he did. Uh, but they're in this area called Cana in Galilee. Here's what we're gonna do. 
I wanna make this so simple for us, okay? Because again, I'm convinced that sometimes we make things too difficult. We're just gonna pull out three principles of what it means to celebrate like Jesus, that if we can get right as the church, I think we can see some things change. Chapter two of John, verse one. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Principle number one, celebrating like Jesus. We've gotta be present at parties. Told you, it's not rocket science. <laughs> but we've gotta be present at parties. You might think, well, of course, I'm present at parties sometimes, but what I want you to, rec- I want you to feel this tension that there are, there's this rhythm going on around us where those, lo- people are looking to celebrate. And we've gotta be trained to have our eyes open because we're actually tempted to say no to things like this, believe it or not. And there's a couple good reasons. One, we'll say no to a party because oftentimes uh, we have a tendency to be a little bit busy. And that's fair. I've got three kids. I coach youth sports. Um, this church keeps me hopping a little bit. So I've been there. But what we gotta realize is God put inside of every man, woman, and student this desire to celebrate, this, this desire to be a part of something that's worth being around. And we don't know how many opportunities that he's gonna give us in our lives to actually step into someone else's life and to make an impact. And what's going on uh, at parties is everyone's guard is down because this thing that God has put inside of people is being exposed, this desire to celebrate goodness, and you have an opportunity to actually step into that. So we've gotta find ways to be present at parties. Another reason that we'll say no to being present at parties, and I don't think, at hope, I don't think this is a regular thing with most of us, but there might be some, and so we gotta step on toes a little bit. But sometimes we'll say no to going to a party because at that party, there might be those people doing those types of things. And I know this can be questionable, so I, I wanna be clear. Like, I'm not saying that you need to go to a party where something's gonna be happening uh, that's dangerous. I'm not saying that you should go to a party where something's happening illegal. That, and I'm certainly not saying that if you have some addiction issues that you should go put yourself in, in a difficult spot. But what I am saying is that when Jesus was here on this earth, he was constantly being ridiculed by religious leaders. He was being accused of being a drunkard or for hanging out with drunkards or hanging out with gluttons. And you know what he said? He said, I did not come for those who are healthy, but I came for those who are sick. And I ask you this question, like if we are afraid to go to the dark places because of what's going on there, how is the light gonna overcome the darkness? We've gotta be willing to be present at parties. Principle number one. Number two, let's jump to verse three. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Okay, we got a problem. So Jesus' mother told them, they have no more wine. Verse four, um, Jesus says to his mother, dear woman, that's not our, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now, I told you this was gonna come back to bite him, having his mom at the party with him, right? So she comes over to him. <clears throat> if you hear from most theologians, they'll point out to you that a party like this, if you host a party and you run out of wine, um, alcohol, food, it's actually like viewed as a disgrace on the family. So most theologians will tell you that Mary, is what she's actually doing is she's trying to protect the family that's hosting this party. And I think that's probably happening, okay? I just... It's just the way I'm wired. Like there's a part of me that's wondering like, is Mary holding a glass of wine that's like almost empty? And she realized that they're out of wine. She's like, hey Jesus, um, they're out of wine. And you know, my 
you're Jesus, you know, you can, uh, you can do the thing. And he looks at, and that's probably not what's happening, okay, that's just me. But Jesus looks at her and he says, listen, it is not time yet for me to do my thing, to reveal who I am. And then somehow in between that, which I think is verse five, uh, between verse four and verse five, something happens. Because if you just stop there, you would think, okay, Jesus isn't gonna do anything, but in verse five, his mother tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So somehow in between verse four and verse five, that thing happened that we all know about if we're parents, like mom looked at son and said, do what I said. And he did. So it worked. Verse six, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Uh, This was not water you'd wanna drink, okay? This is like used for cleaning hands, cleaning feet. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Verse nine, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine. Okay, don't miss that. Jesus just turned water into wine. He's the guy you want at your parties. Not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over, right, like the host. And this is what he says to him. He says, hey man, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, I think the kids say like when everyone in the club has gotten tipsy, <laughs> he, then, he then brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. Principle number two, uh, if you're gonna celebrate like Jesus, you gotta bring the best wine. You gotta bring the best wine. If you're coming to my house, bring the best bourbon. All right, that's what we, I would want in my house. Now, look, it doesn't have to do with alcohol, and I wanna be careful here because I know that anything that can be a good thing can be taken too far. We've talked about that recently. It can become an idol. There can be uh, addiction issues. This doesn't really have to do with alcohol. This has to do with whatever it takes to make the party everything that it could be. So it could be bring the best salad. It could be bring the best burgers. Someone could say, hey, can you bring plates and napkins? Bring the best plates and napkins that you can bring over. You don't have to bring your grandma's china, but make sure you bring enough, right? Like you don't wanna run out if somebody's asking you to bring something to a party. Uh, I was on staff here at Hope from 2003 until 2006. And in 2006, my wife and I felt like we were being called to go and play in a church in downtown Raleigh. And so myself and another pastor on staff uh, decided to go and plant this church. And so we figured, but if we're gonna go plant a church in downtown Raleigh, we should probably actually go move to the area that God was calling us to plant a church. And so we sold our things and together our families bought this house in downtown Raleigh. And you're like, oh, that sounds weird the way you said it. You mean like you, brought, you bought like a duplex or something? No, it's, it's as weird as it sounded. <laughs> that is, uh, we did not have kids yet. Uh, they had three kids. They told us that they were through having kids. Uh, they lied. I'm still, bi- still bitter about that. When we bought this house, though, listen, on the number one drug trafficking block in downtown Raleigh, all right? Um, and if, if we went, like, more than a week without hearing gunshots when we first moved down, they were like, hey, neighborhood's changing. Things are getting good. I mean, that's the type of neighborhood that we live. But when we moved down there, we realized right away the these people are not gonna come to our church. (laughs) They're just not. And if they did, the people that came with us to start this thing are probably gonna be a little nervous. But we expected this, right? Like we just wanted to do something different than what we had been doing here at Hope at the time. And so, um, and we had gone through some training. So we we said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna have some parties. 
we're just going to throw some parties. And so I would walk around the block down there. And it took a while. Like when we first moved down there, they either thought I was there to buy something, okay, or I was the police, of which I was neither, just to be clear. But over time, you build a relationship. And we'd say, hey, listen, we're going to be having a party Sunday afternoon over at our place if you want to come. And they would ask, well, what are you going to have at your party? I would say, I don't know. Um, what do you think? What would you like for us to have at your party? And we heard two things without fail. Barbecue, all right, you need to cook a pig, and fried chicken. Now, here's the deal. I'm from the South, okay? Like, th- this, is, this is how I grew up. Like, I own a pig cooker, all right? My stepdad taught me how, how to cook a pig. I know what I'm doing. And my grandma would fry chicken in the cast iron pan on Sunday afternoons. Like, these are my people. I know what to do. And so we called some people from the church. We told them what we were doing. Uh, and then my buddy, Dan Kessler, he also knew how to cook the pig. He'd cook the pig on the grill, and then I would fry the chicken. And then we would have, that's a different picture of a different party, but that's my wife and our friend Heather taking a pig out of the back of my truck. But that's my stepdad and Dan over there on the other side. But listen, we cooked this pig, we'd fry this chicken, and the people that we would have in our backyard and on our front porch and in our house, I'm just being honest, you'd be a little nervous if they showed up at your house. But look, we weren't sitting around talking about our differences. We weren't sitting around being nervous. We, we weren't talking about the things that would maybe complicate our relationship. We were just celebrating. We were just having a good time. And it's because we were willing to bring the better wine. You understand? And I don't say that like to lift us up. I say that like follow me as I follow Christ. Like we have seen just walls break down in relationships and people then to begin to learn how to talk about the needs that they have in our lives and relationships build. Because here's what happened. When God's kingdom shows up at a party, things just get better. We gotta bring a better wine. For principle number three, um, you can find it in the same story, okay, but where I want us to land, I think it highlights it a little bit better if we just kind of move forward a few chapters. And so uh, we're going to leave John chapter 2 and we're going to go to John chapter 13. You've got Jesus at a different party, okay? Um, it says this, John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, I'll come back to that in a minute, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. That Passover celebration, I want to give you a little bit of context here. So right now in the life of the church, like worldwide, we're in what we refer to as Holy Week, okay? So this weekend, this Sunday, is what's referred to as Palm Sunday, So if you go just a few chapters earlier, like if you put all the gospels together, you'd have Jesus coming into town, riding on the back of a donkey with uh, the Jewish people waving palm branches at him, declaring that he's Messiah, like the savior of the world. And they were like partially right and they partially had no idea really what was about to happen. So that's Palm Sunday. Then you move into Thursday, uh, which is the Passover celebration, which is actually a celebration. It's one of those festivals that have been instituted uh, for, for years and years and years and years. It actually goes back to a time where God, and we don't have time to get into it, but where God rescued, he protected the Israelites from a plague so that they then could be sent free out of captivity as slaves from Egypt, okay? And so this is the celebration of that. So they're there at this Passover celebration but what they don't know is Jesus about, is about to institute what we as followers of Jesus refer to as the Last Supper 
or as communion, where he actually says, hey, this body that's broken, uh, or this, this bread here that you're eating, this, this represents my body that's gonna be broken. And this wine that you're drinking, um, this represents my blood that's gonna be poured out for the sins of the world. And then shortly after that meal, which the disciples don't know yet, but Jesus does, Jesus is gonna be arrested, and on Friday, he's gonna be put on a cross, and that's this week we celebrate Good Friday. And then on Sunday, uh, we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Now, you wanna talk about a celebration, you make sure you're at a Hope Campus uh, next Sunday morning. But that's what's going on, and so that's the scene where Jesus is right now, and he knows that's where he is. But at this Passover celebration, it was kind of tradition, it was understood when you come into a room that there's usually a servant there that's gonna clean off everyone's feet because you're walking around in sandals, right, and you're stepping in cheap stuff, and, but you're, now you're gonna recline at a table, and you're gonna have your feet up in somebody else's face and next up to a table, and so it's, it's understood somebody's gonna clean, but there's no servant there. And so they're all probably looking around like who's gonna clean everybody's feet. And then you get to verse four and look what happens. Jesus, it says, so he got up from the table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around. Jesus washed their feet. If we're gonna celebrate like Jesus, we gotta be willing to put on a servant's towel. We gotta be willing to do the dirty work that nobody else is willing to do. I'm like, if you're asking like, so does that mean the next party that I go to, I'm supposed to start washing people's feet? For goodness sake, no, okay? Don't do that. You put that in the file of like why Christians aren't on the party planning committee. We're not gonna wash feet. But we are gonna be willing to do the work that nobody else is willing to do, right? Maybe you're the person that's willing to stay after a little bit and help clean up. Maybe you're the person that um, you go to the trash can and you go to like push like one more plate down and you can tell like this is it. Hey, you go to the host of the party and say, listen, I'm more than willing to take out the trash. Where are your trash bags? Or maybe you call somebody up. You know there's a party that's going on and you say, look, I know you've got a party that's happening later. I'm more than willing to come over a few hours early, help you set up. I know you've got something you can do. Or if you're there, just ask someone if you can help. Most likely they're gonna be like me and they're gonna be a little bit anal and they're gonna say no, but they're gonna appreciate the fact that you at least ask, all right? We've gotta be willing to put on a servant's towel. Um, when, I think it was like 12 years ago. Yeah, my, my youngest is, uh, he's 11. We, my, we moved into the neighborhood that we live in now. And um, about 11, 12 years ago. And this neighborhood was built in the 60s. And uh, so there's some older people that live there that have lived there for, since the neighborhood was built. And then there's some younger families that have moved in. But when we moved in, we realized there's not a lot of community in the neighborhood. And, and my wife and I, like, we really believe this stuff. Like, we really believe that if you can build community, if you can get people celebrating life together, they'll actually open up, talk about what's going on in their lives. And God's kingdom has an opportunity to rush in. And so at a homeowner's meeting, which is an act of service in and of itself, uh, <clears throat> One of us said, hey, look, why don't twice a year, we've got a park in the neighborhood, why don't we do something like maybe a fall festival in the fall, and I've got a tractor, and I do, and, uh, and so we, I can like pull a trailer, we can put hay in it, we can do hay rides around the neighborhood, we can like decorate some pumpkins, you know, have a good time, and then in the spring, um, we can just leave that side up for now, that's fine. Uh, and then in the spring, uh, we can do a, uh, a spring fling, right? We can hide Easter eggs, and we can have an Easter bunny showing up. What I want you to know is sometimes, go, go back to the other slide. Go back to the other slide. Sometimes putting on a servant's towel 
looks like driving a tractor and pulling kids in a hayride. Sometimes putting on a servant's towel looks like wearing a creepy Easter bunny costume <laughs> where you just feel like you're probably not supposed to be around kids, but you're supposed to be around kids. And what, what I want you to know, man, is this stuff, it makes a difference. And it sounds so simple. But it kind of should be, right? Like Jesus paved the way for us. We gotta be present at parties. We gotta bring the best wine. We gotta be willing to put on a servant's towel. I wanna give you some other really tangible things, okay? Throw a Super Bowl party. Get together with your small group, throw a Super Bowl party. Invite neighbors over, do something that way. This is why we as a church take off 4th of July weekend from our physical gatherings at our campuses because there's a natural, here's that word again, rhythm in our country to celebrate July 4th weekend. And so we wanna make it easy for you to have a cookout, invite some people over, and build relationships with people that otherwise might not be willing to come to church. That's why we do it. Another low-hanging fruit that uh, we as a family have experienced a tremendous amount uh, of opportunity through. If you have kids that play sports, again, I mentioned at the beginning, every sport has these end-of-year parties. But man, just commit to throwing killer parties. I mean, we, we've done this for years, and now there's just other families that jump in, and they look forward to it every year. And if you want an opportunity to influence a family, you let a parent know that you're willing to go out of your way to celebrate their child. That's going to make a huge impact in the lives of others. This is what I want you to do. This week as a family, as you're just sitting around the dinner table, or maybe you're driving in the car, school pickup, who knows, maybe you're heading out of town for spring break, but ask yourselves as a family, how can we as a family better engage our world in the rhythm of celebration? Just ask, what do we need to do? Are there places we can be more present? What does it mean for us to bring the better wine? Um, what does it mean to put on a servant's towel? Um, I do wanna make this one disclaimer. If you're a high school student, <laughs> this is not an excuse for you to be at a party where you know stuff's going on that you don't need to be there, all right? You still live under mommy and daddy's roof. We gotta do what's right, okay? Look, I want you to see something I stumbled on this week. And I didn't have this in my notes as, we, um, as I kind of had this laid out last week. But these principles, they actually model a picture of the gospel for your family. Like when you do them, you're reminded of the gospel. And they actually live out the gospel in front of people in ways that they might not otherwise ever have an opportunity to see. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to like, just lean in just for a minute, or maybe you, you are a follower of Jesus and you just need a refresher. Like This blew me away this week. You wanna talk about being present at parties? Like Jesus was willing to step down from the comforts of heaven and come down and be present with us in our brokenness here on earth. You wanna talk about bringing the best wine. It was at that table that we just talked about where Jesus said that wine that you're drinking right now, like when you do that, I want you to remember, I want you to remember my blood that's gonna be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. You wanna talk about the better wine. And then and putting on a servant's towel, he, he did. He took off his robe, he put on a servant's towel, but then he took that towel off and he went and sat down and he ate that meal. But hours later, he was arrested and he was stripped of all his clothes. And he was hung up on a cross in the greatest act of servanthood that any man could ever give. And he died for my sins and for your sins. When we live out this idea of celebrate like Jesus, 
We are literally ushering in God's kingdom into wherever it is that we're going. There's so much power in this. It doesn't have to be difficult. As we close out this series, um, I, I want this to be like a commissioning moment for us. All right, that, that we now, okay, we've, we don't have to go from zero to 100, but now we can like take a step in one, two, three, maybe all six of these rhythms in our life of what it means to actually live on mission for Jesus where we live, learn, work, and play. But this is not a thing where we say, so let's just go do better. What we're gonna do is we're gonna first remember together what we just talked about. And we're gonna talk about who Jesus is and we're gonna remember what it was that he did for us. And we're gonna celebrate communion together. Now, Hope has been around for 27, 28 years. We've actually never celebrated communion together like this in a worship service, in a weekend worship service. And so here's what's gonna happen. Uh, in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And then as I finish, the band's gonna be playing just lightly. And you're gonna have an opportunity to, to be free to move about the room at whatever campus you are, wherever you are, and you're gonna get up and you're gonna find one of these tables that are set up and you're gonna take the elements which is just a fancy way of saying, take one of these little cups. It has a little wafer and it has some juice. And then you're gonna make your way back to your seat. And at that point, you're probably gonna be thinking, is somebody gonna come back out and tell me when I'm supposed to eat and when I'm supposed to drink? I'm gonna tell you now, no, no one else is coming back up. All right, this is for you. This is for you, for your spouse, for your family. If you came together, if you're here at your campus with your small group, for you all to remember who Jesus is and what he did for our sins and that he overcame sin and death. And that we have an opportunity to not only receive that, but to take that good news out into the world. And so you'll take as you sit in your seat. You got a little bit of time. You don't have a lot of time. And then the band's gonna play a song and we're actually gonna worship together. We're gonna celebrate together in song. And then we're gonna go out and celebrate in the world as Christ Church. And we're gonna take God's kingdom out to the world around us, okay? I'm gonna have you all bow your heads. If you're here and you're hearing my voice right now, and uh, maybe, maybe you're driving down the road right now and uh, so your eyes aren't closed or maybe you're watching online, um, I know there's a prompt there for you to, to how to, for how to take communion at home. But if you're listening to my voice right now and like for the first time, something's connecting, like I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I've never really understood it, but, but but right now, I, I think I understand this good news and I wanna take a step and begin a relationship with God. I just want you to know it's as easy as saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you died for my sins on that cross and I don't fully understand it, but I believe that you rose from the grave and that you overcame sin and death and so I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And there's no magic prayer. It really has to do with the posture of your heart that you would be a believer in who Jesus is and what he did for you. And so if that's you, I just want to invite you into being able to do that. <clears throat> or maybe you hear my voice and you're not ready to make that decision. In fact, you hear communion and you think, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, that's okay. With your head bowed right now in a moment when we say amen and everybody's head comes up, I want you to know there's no pressure for you to do anything that you're not comfortable with doing, you can hang back in your seat. Um, we trust that you know what to do. But maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you just need to be reminded, this is a week to remember what Jesus did for us. This is a week to remember what Jesus calls us into. 
Father, we come to you in prayer. Um, Whether we know it or not, it's created men and women and students by you, by a God that has at his core a celebratory, just a celebratory spirit and heart for the goodness of life. And so Lord, I pray that we would understand the lengths that you have gone to, Jesus, for us to be able to experience that life together. Lord, I pray that we would remember appropriately, Jesus, your body being broken and your blood being poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, I pray that this Sunday, this weekend, that we would celebrate the tomb being empty and the resurrection of you, Jesus, overcoming sin and death in a way that we just couldn't help but take it out into the world around us. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would move in our lives, that you would move through us for the sake of your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.